Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. As I've written about on my website with articles on Priorat, Languedoc, Rancio, and white Catalan wines, I've just been on a trip to the south of France and to Catalonia for two weeks, which was extremely exciting and fun. And of course, I visited several wineries. And in the next couple of podcasts, I'm going to focus on those regions and the styles of wine made there and what I've learned from that two-week visit. This episode focuses on Priorat, a very prestigious and distinguished region in Catalonia, about one and a half hours drive inland from Barcelona, which has a rich and varied history. There are lots of ups and downs, and currently it's on the up, but maybe um, not as settled as we might imagine from such a distinguished region. Lots of different trends and changes and challenges, and lots of different opinions from the winemakers that I met on what Priorat should be and where it is going next. One thing I learned is that Priorat is quite a conservative region in terms of its rules and regulations and the um, authorities that run Priorat, which I will touch on as uh, we go through this episode on Priorat. First of all, a quick overview of its history. So winemaking in Priorat goes back to the 1200s, when a priory, which gives its name to the region, was established by Carthusian monks coming from France in a successful attempt to Christianize the region after um, Islamic rule for several centuries. And so these monks made wine for centuries, up until the 1800s when they were expelled from the region and everything was... um, taken over by the government and then sold to local growers and would-be winemakers. But these monks really um, laid out the vineyard plantings and the styles of wine made in Priorat, the grape varieties, and just as in Burgundy, really matching grape variety to soil type, to um, aspect and exposition, and creating um, a foundation for the future of Priorat. But from the 1830s onwards, the land was privately owned and Priorat became extremely successful. It's a relatively small region, though it takes a long time to drive around because the roads are very windy. Lots of mountains in Priorat. At that time, in the 19th century, when Priorat was very successful, 100% of all of Priorat land was planted, according to the people I spoke to there, which is an incredible thing to consider, given how steep the slopes are and how rocky the soils are. This is a very difficult area to farm, even today with all the modern technology. So Priorat was very successful. Most of it was um, bulk wine. Very little was bottled. It wasn't until 1878 that the first Priorat wine was bottled. And quite a bit of it was actually used for blending in Bordeaux, one of those dirty secrets that Bordeaux doesn't tell you about, but they went to other regions like Hermitage to find wines with greater alcohol and deeper colour to really uh, buff up the wines of Bordeaux. So Priorat wasn't necessarily a a distinguished region at that time, but it was producing lots of wine and was known as a grape-growing region, if not a wine-producing region as such. But then uh, there was a double whammy for Priorat. Phylloxera hit, as it did in the rest of Spain in the 1890s. So Spain in general had a bit of a boom when Phylloxera hit France, because French winemakers uh, looked to Spain for grapes and for wine so that they could continue to produce. But it eventually reached Spain in the 1890s, and Spanish wine production went into decline because 
once it did recover from phylloxera, the Spanish Civil War did not help matters at all, and that was in the 1930s, and Priorat is in Catalonia, which was a key battleground in the Spanish Civil War. And so Priorat didn't really have time to recover from phylloxera. Then the Spanish War Civil War happened, and then you had the Franco regime, which was extremely isolationist for the first um, 25 years of its um, rule, which meant that Spanish wine regions in general were quite isolated, not exposed to um, international trends and influences and developments, and only really making wine for local consumption of um, minimal quality. So if we skip to today, if we compare Priorat to the 19th century, where all of it was planted with vines, now about 20% of Priorat is planted with vines. So a huge decline in that sense, although 20% is probably the limit for, for, for successful high-quality wine production within Priorat. And so we're probably at a good point right now. So how did Priorat uh, recover from um, that kind of 80-90 year period of uh, decline. Well, in the late 1980s, there were five winemakers from across Spain who moved to Priorat, who were convinced by the quality that uh, Priorat was capable of, even if it hadn't produced uh, quality wine for quite some time. They looked at the history of Priorat, going back to the 1200s, its boom in the 19th century, the steep slopes, but also the old vines, particularly Garnacha and Carignana. I know Old vines are not a guarantee of quality. Their deep root system, the development of the vines, does generally lead to a higher concentration of flavours and structure. And so they didn't need to replant immediately. There were old vines already there to work with. Those old vines were extremely well suited to the warm climate of Priorat, because both Garnacha and Carignina are naturally planted in warm Mediterranean climates like Priorat. And very quickly, these five winemakers established Priorat as one of the best regions in Spain, which it is still regarded as today. So that was 35 years ago. And there have been a lot of uh, a lot of changes within that period, starting with those five winemakers making Priorat a prestigious region, but also heavily influenced by international trends for the first time in Priorat's history, really, with plantings of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Syrah, so French varieties which were extremely fashionable in the 90s and still are today, but not um, local to Priorat or even Catalonia. So there's a bit of a confluence of using the history of Priorat with Old Vine, Garnacha and Carignana, but bringing international styles into the region as well. And so in general, Priorat was a full-bodied red wine, lots of use of new French oak, and very international 1990s style. The trend now is to move away from that and make Priorat more akin to its historical styles, really concentrating on Garnacha and Carignana, with a little bit of white wine made as well from uh, local grape varieties, and moving away from Bordeaux and international French varieties such as Cabernet or Syrah, and also less use of new French oak. A lot of the producers I visited are moving away from oak altogether and using concrete or cement tanks to age the wines, to stop the wines from being too tannic or too big or too full or too oaky, so more restrained styles. And what I learned in my visit to Priorat is that it's not one simple style of wine. And this goes back to some of the controversy about the regulations within Priorat that producers get very frustrated about. For example, the minimum 
alcohol of pre-rat is 13.5%, which is extremely high. In fact, it's the highest minimum level of alcohol in Europe. In cooler regions, in France, for instance, or in Italy, those minimum levels of alcohol are there for a reason. It's a stop growers from picking the grapes too early, which historically they would do to avoid costs and just get the grapes in as early as possible, sell them, move on. And so, for instance, minimum level of alcohol in Bordeaux is 12%. Bordeaux Superior is 12.5%, indicating greater ripeness in the grapes. But in Prirac, getting the grapes ripe is not a problem. It's a warm region. If you can't get grapes ripe in Prirac, then you shouldn't be um, growing grapes at all anywhere. So there's no real reason to have a minimum level of 13.5% alcohol. But the regulations insist on that, and that's because the Priorat DOC, or DOQ in, um, in Catalan, really places great emphasis on typicity. So Priorat should taste like Priorat. And that does stop producers from experimenting or from doing different things or just um, making lower alcohol wines. And of course, the trend across the world right now for consumers as well as producers is to have lower alcohol wines. And so conversely, in Priorat, producers add sugar to the, um, the must in order to get the levels of 13.5% alcohol that they need in order to pass as Priorat. That's something they really should not need to be doing. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with a 125 or 13% alcohol wine. It's still gonna have body and structure. And so producers get very the top producers get very frustrated that they have to try and reach these levels of 13.5% alcohol when they really want to make slightly more restrained wines. And this does mean, though, despite those regulations, that there is a variety of styles within Priorat, some big, full-bodied, heavy wines, which may seem more typical of Priorat, but other, other more restrained, elegant wines, which still reach those levels of alcohol, but aren't as fruity and ripe, so a bit more of a measured approach. So more variety to Priorat than perhaps is um, realized, and despite the regulations trying to limit that variety. Priorat is famous for its slate soils, locally called Lucarella, but slate is not the only soil in Priorat, and this is also a little bit controversial because there are clay soils as well. And some people view Priorat that it should only be slate soils. That is what Priorat is. It should be measured by its soil type. Others are quite happy to embrace the clay soils, which are at higher elevation, heavier soils, more water retention on the surface, and therefore quite different wines from the rest of Priorat, which is grown on slate soils. Slightly heavier, more aromatic wines. I think variety is a good thing, but maybe that expresses that Priorat is not always the same thing, whether that's a good thing or not, really depends on opinion. Priorat is defined by um, two mountains to the north and to the south. To the north is Mont Sant, which is not really a mountain, it's just a massive wedge of rock which goes across the northern side of Priorat. And this is where you might find more of the clay soils. On the other side of the Mont Sant mountain is the Mont Sant region itself, and so the easy way to define Priorat and Montsant is like a donut. Um, Priorat is the hole in the donut and Montsant surrounds it. Montsant is a very interesting region which is overshadowed by Priorat, but it has lots of varied soil types. So arguably it's actually more interesting than Priorat because lots of different styles of wine can be made in Montsant. And speaking to uh, Dominic Uber of Tewa Al Limit, 
he has started making wine in Monsanto and thinks it could it could have a more exciting future than Priorat itself. Whereas Priorat is a bit more monolithic with its slate soils. So I say embrace some of the diversity of Priorat rather than emphasize its monolithic nature. But the slate soils are extremely important to Priorat in terms of identity, but also in, in terms of how the, the vines actually um, develop. So those slate soils are very inf- infertile. The rain falls in Priorat mainly during the winter. It's more of a Mediterranean continental climate. Very hot days, but cool nights uh, during the growing season. And that rain that falls in the winter will soak into the soils to quite a deep level because they're a slate rather than the clay soils where the water retention is more near, is nearer the surface. When that rain falls during the winter, the water goes down into fissures in, in the soil and that water will freeze because it gets cold during the winter. And because it's frozen, it will actually push those fissures, fissures wider, creating more space in the ground for the vines to dig their roots, roots into. And so roots in these slate soils can be as deep as 18 meters. So really um, far-reaching root systems that fetch that water during the much drier, hotter growing season. Those slate soils will also, during the growing season, retain heat from the hot days for, so that the, the vines will continue to um, receive heat during the cool nights. So days can be as hot as 36 degrees C or even more, whereas the nights can drop to 18 degrees C. So quite a wide diurnal temperature variation. And so the slate soils can be important to enable a, a consistent ripening during the cooler nights as well as the hot days. There are several different villages in Priorat, which are extremely um, unpopulated. Before Phylloxera, there were about 11,000 people living in Priorat. That immediately fell to around 2,000 people in Priorat. So there's a huge um, population drain because of Phylloxera, which really destroyed the wine industry there. And even now, it's still um, quite unpopulated. So, for example, one of the major villages is Gratiops, which is where... um, Wine production really um, was resurrected in the late 1980s and early 1990s. There are 237 people who lived there, and that is um, one of the bigger villages. But producers and wineries are located in these villages. So, for example, in Gratiops, you have famous producers like Alvaro Palacios, Buyagine, Close Figueras, Close Mogador, Joseph Grau, and Mas Martinet. Small village of Toroca de Priorat, which has 153 people. That's where Tewa El Limit is located, one of my favourite producers, producing slightly more um, restrained styles of wine. There's another village, La Vieja Alta, which has 135 people. That's where Mas Alta and Ritme are located. In Pobaleda, which is um, an historic centre for Priorat, that has a colossal 374 people. That's where Mastoish are located, and that's one of the villages where, um, even in the 20th century, when wine production was very low, uh, growers there did continue the practice of growing grapes and selling them to cooperatives. And then there's also Pereira, which has 445 people. That's where Ninortich, which is a biodynamic producer, is located, as well as Valash, Sims de Pereira as well, which is an old cooperative which makes um, aged wine and very good wine. And then there's also a Scaladay, which is where Scaladay is located, which was the original winery back in the 1200s, and is really the historic heart of Prirat. All of these villages are around three to 500 metres high in altitude, 
and then the slopes rise above those villages for even greater altitude. So Prerat is a warm climate, as I mentioned, hot days, cool nights, continental, but with a Mediterranean influence from the coast. Not too great, but they're still there. There are breezes which flow through Prerat, which are quite noticeable and do cool conditions down a little bit and allow the grapes to breathe, as it were. The slopes are steep and they're very um, rugged, rocky, and spread out. Producers don't have contiguous vineyards. They're all scattered around above the villages. It's very difficult to farm because they're steep slopes and they're rocky, and also because they're not next to each other. So there's a lot of uh, traveling from vineyard to vineyard that growers and producers have to do. Different training systems. Some producers um, plant according to the contours of the slope. Other producers use terraces. Again, different opinions on which is better. The argument is that a planting to the according to the contours of the slope allows for a much more consistent ripening. And you can see actually see that in the vineyard, that the vines all look the same because they are planted according to the contours of the slope and that allows a consistent exposure to the sunshine. Whereas terraces are much more inconsistent because they're trying to shape the slope and that can actually lead to um, inconsistent exposure to sunlight and sunshine. But at the same time, it's a bit easier to manage and control. But most vines are bush vines, in part because that allows the um, canopy to hang over the grapes and protect them from too much sunlight because this is a warm, dry climate. And also there are lots of old vines trained in that historical fashion. Because these vineyards are often very historic, going back to the, the monks who had really defined the vineyards and the quality and style of those vineyards, there's real knowledge about um, the styles of wine being produced from specific vineyards. Historically, Priat has always been a blend, a blend of grape varieties, a blend of vineyards, which has been for commercial, practical reasons. Now there's a trend for single vineyard wines and also single varietal wines as well. But still, you would expect Priorat, most Priorat, to be um, a blend of vineyard and grape variety. However, the Priorat authorities have created a crew system, which has been in effect for a few years now, um, Premier Cru and Grand Cru, based on the historic evaluation of the vineyard. And to be labelled a Cru, the producer must have been making wine from that vineyard for at least uh, five to ten years. I think it's five for Premier Cru and ten for Grand Cru. However, not all producers follow this system, which is, is designed to make Prurat feel more Burgundian, so to speak. So, for example, Terroir El Limit do not follow that system as they feel it is quite limiting and doesn't really reflect the quality and the nature of the vineyard. Just because you've been making wine from that vineyard for several years doesn't mean it should be a Grand Cru. So what about the um, grape varieties within Priorat? So Garnacha and Carignana, or Grenache and Carignan in French, are the two most important grape varieties. Garnacha is usually the dominant variety in the blend. So Garnacha naturally enjoys or needs a warm Mediterranean climate because it needs because it needs that heat to build up the um, sugar and ripeness in the grapes. It's naturally high in alcohol. So going back to the fact that Priorat must be a minimum of 13.5%, that kind of ties in with the fact that Garnacha generally is going to reach those levels of alcohol. Although there are certainly producers across France and Spain who are making lower levels of alcohol with uh, Grenache or Garnacha. So it doesn't always have to be high alcohol, but it often is. Red fruit aromas, quite floral and perfumed, 
lowish tannins and lowish acidity, which is why it's often blended. And this is where Carignana comes in. More black fruit aromas, much more tannic and much more acidic than Garnacha. So ideal blends for complexity and also for balance. As I mentioned before, you still might find some Bordeaux grape varieties such as Cabernet Sauvignon in the blend or Syrah, though this is becoming less common. Some of the more expensive and exciting wines in Priorat are single varietals, so single varietal Garnacha or single varietal Carignano. And if you really want to explore the potential greatness of Carignano or Carignan, then Priorat is the region to visit because producers are really honing in on the qualities of that, of that great variety and the styles of wine that it produces, where you have these really floral, perfumed aromatics, but with a structured tannin and high acidity. Whereas Garnacha is going to be much paler in appearance, a bit softer on the palate, but still with the structure to um, be made on its own. But these are going to be generally old vines. And that's very important for Carignana because Carignana is a high yielding grape variety which can have quite astringent tannins when it's um, high yield from young vines. But these older vines produce much more structured wines from lower yields. There's also white wine made in Priorat from Garnacha Blanca, a little bit of Garnacha Gris as well, Macabeo, which is called Viora in Rioja. Um, and there's also a little bit of Chenin Blanc planted as well, which is quite surprising, but Chenin Blanc can add acidity, maintains acidity even in a warm climate, whereas Garnacha can lose, is not always the most acidic of wines, which again is why um, the wines, the white wines often blends just like the red wines. And this is where Macabeo comes in because this is a naturally high acid grape suited to the warm climate of Catalonia. But in general, the wines of Priorat are um, relatively full-bodied, quite weighty, getting a waxiness from the Garnacha Blanca, but maintaining acidity, uh, perhaps from Macabeo or even Chenin Blanc. But like the red wines, the use of oak is being um, cut back on to produce much fresher styles of wine than, the, than were being produced in the 1990s and the 2000s. So which producers should you be looking out for? I mentioned um, some of them. To our limit for a more restrained, elegant style of wine, Mastoche wines are a little bit bigger, but they come at various price points, which I think is a good thing, ranging from 18 euros to 300 euros. These wine, all these wines are quite age-worthy. At Mastoche, I tasted wine from 02 and 03, and although they were noticeably mature and old, they still retain their freshness and complexity. Talking about age, I also visited Sims de Porrera, um, tasted wine from 06, that was a single varietal Carignano, which um, tasted like an old uh, Grand Reserve Rioja. It had that uh, maturity, but still had the structure and complexity. I also mentioned Scalade, the oldest producer in the region, and still producing very good, high-quality wine, which are very which are quite typical of the region, although they do focus a little bit more on clay soils, as well as slate soils, which some people think is not as typical of the region as solely slate. Uh, Nino Tish, biodynamic producer, they also work with uh, a variety called Garnacha Peluda, which is a variant of Garnacha, which is a little bit um, lower in alcohol and needs warmer sites. And their, their wine, um, Nitnein, which is the Garnacha Peluda, I tasted uh, 
2007, which was um, absolutely fantastic. So slightly different uh, variant of Garnacha, slightly different style, but still with the red fruits and a slightly harder feel than uh, Garnacha itself. But Ninotish are biodynamic, and they've learned a lot since they started in the 90s. They originally planted terraces, um, really kind of trying to influence the shape of the slope, which they decided was the wrong way to do it, and then it's much better to actually follow the contours of the slope, to allow the land to do what it's doing, rather than trying to force it to do something that, you, that, they, that it doesn't want. And producers have really learned about where the grape varieties work best. So Garnacha, because it's um, naturally builds up sugar and high alcohol, is generally on north-facing or northwest-facing slopes, so it doesn't get too much sunshine. Carignano ripens later, and it's not always possible to get a perfect level of ripeness if it's on the wrong slope. And so it's generally on south-southwest-facing slopes to make sure that Carignana gets ripe. So there's a lot of... Um, Things that produces the learning in Priorat, many of them moved there in the 90s or started making wine or quality wine in the 90s. Some left because it was too difficult. Others have really learnt where the grape varieties are best planted, how they're best blended, which vineyards can produce single varietal wine, which vineyards should be used for blending, cutting back on the use of oak, really allowing the grapes and the vineyards to express themselves, Realising that Carignania can produce extremely high-quality wine isn't simply there to back up Garnacha. Realising that Old Van Garnacha also produces extremely high-quality wine. Cutting back on international varieties. And really exploring the terroir of Priorat. And not just producing big, heavy, full-bodied, high-alcohol wines. And also, likewise, with whites. Making more restrained styles, though still relatively full-bodied, because Priorat is a warm climate, lots of sunshine. Encourage you to visit Priorat if and when you can. It's a beautiful region, it's a dramatic region, a mountainous region, and a pretty unforgettable region to visit. And like any region that's always exciting to visit, every winemaker has a different opinion on how wines should be made, and you can form your own conclusion while enjoying all the different styles of wine and also having some great food with them too. So that's Priorat. Thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. <laughs>